0: Welcome back to another edition of the Arantia Radio Podcast. My name is Jim Watkins. I'm your host, long-time reader, as I say. How many years has it been since 1982? I still I still have my original markings when I first read the book. I don't know if you did that, but uh, I still have my original book. I don't open it a lot because the papers are starting to fray a little bit in the binder. I, at some point, I must have spilled some coffee, maybe somewhere, or you know, nudged a drink and it spilled, but... Maybe I was reading while I was eating a greasy cheeseburger and some of the pages, you know, I, real abuse. Anyway, it, it's, uh, I love the book and I have all my little notes and things that are underlined. Did you do that when you first started reading the the Urantia book? Did you f- kind of underline it? And, I, you know, people say that's really the best way to enjoy the book is to make it your own and it's something I'll pass on to one of my kids. Uh, and I'm going to start doing some, something kind of, I think, different, where I go through the book and pick the subject matter, but I want to highlight some of the more fantastic uh, statements and quotes, things that really jump out at you and give you a real sense of knowledge. And this will allow me to move through in some areas and bring more information to you that I think would be very interesting, especially if you're not hearing about it for the first time. And uh, we're going to talk about life establishment. When did life arrive and how did it arrive and why did it arrive? And I think in doing so from paper 158, and we're just going to read a couple of, I think we're just going to read paper 58, section three. It's only about a page long, but boy, there's some real, real things in it that I think are just, they, they, they sort of build on the case that life is certainly not accidental. It's uh, This is not this you know whatever the science says about how how life evolved uh, forgets the one caveat which is it wasn't by accident and we'll delve into that in just a second here on the Arancho Radio podcast. All right, so in Section 3 of Paper 58, where it talks about the conditions that were made necessary for Earth to be able to have life, it talks about materialization in space, but let me read to you what it says in Paper 58, Section 3. It says, during the earlier times of universe materialization, the space regions are interspersed with vast hydrogen clouds. Just Such astronomic dust clusters are now now characterized uh, many regions throughout space. Much of the organized matter which the blazing suns break down and disperse as radiant energy was originally built up in these early appearing hydrogen clouds of space. Under certain unusual conditions, atom disruption also occurs at the nucleus of the larger hydrogen masses, and all of these phenomena of atom building and atom dissolution as in the highly heated nebulae, are attended by the emergence of flood tides of short space rays of radiant energy. Accompanying these diverse radiations is a form of space energy unknown on our world. Now, remember, this book was written in 1934, 1935. So even though it's still consistent with the way astronomers see the universe then, there's clues about how how energy uh, works, how it's broken down, talking about atomic breakdown and disruption, radiant energy, and then it gives us a clue. And if I was more of a physicist, an astrophysicist, I might be excited about this, uh, but I'm still excited about it because it, it's basically, it's not giving away the secret, but it's pointing us into a direction. And I think uh, Joel Garbin has talked about this quite a bit when we've had uh, him on about unknown forms of energy, that were are almost there. Uh, and he says we're closer than we think. Uh, this short ray energy charge of universe space is 400 times greater than all other forms of radiant energy existing in the organized space domains. The output of short space rays, whether coming from the blazing nebulae, tense electric fields, outer space, or the vast hydrogen dust clouds, is fide qualitatively and quantitatively by fluctuations of and sudden tension changes, in temperature, gravity, and electronic pressure. Now, again, that goes way over my head, but you get a sense from them that there's all of these machinations and interactions going on between energy. And again, this is not accidental causation. This is by direction. This is organized matter, even pre-organized matter that comes into organized into an organized state. Uh, from paper 583, section three, these eventualities and the origin of space rays are determined by many cosmic occurrences as well as by the orbits of circulating matter, which vary from modified circles to extreme ellipses. Physical conditions may also be greatly altered because the electronic spin is sometimes in the opposite direction from that of the grosser matter behavior, even in the, in the same physical zone. Now, does this sound like somebody's making this up? If you're a physicist or someone who understands this, kind of science i'd love to hear from you on it the vast hydrogen clouds they say are veritable cosmic chemical laboratories harboring all phases of evolving energy and metamorphosing matter great energy action actions also occur in the marginal gases of the great binary stars which so frequently overlap and hence extensively commingle but none of these tremendous and far-flung energy activities of, of space exerts the least influence upon the phenomena of organized life, the germ-plasm of living things and beings. These energy conditions of space are germane to the essential environment of life establishment, but they are not effective in the subsequent modification of the inherent factors of the germ-plasm, as are some of the longer rays of radiant energy. The implanted life, the life-carriers, is fully resistant to all of this amazing flood of short space rays, of universe energy. All of these essential cosmic conditions had to evolve to a favorable status before the life carriers could actually begin the establishment of life on Urantia. And then I'll read this one paragraph, and it basically talks about the moment that life is implanted. From 58, Section 4, Paragraph 2, it writes, 550 million years ago, the life carrier core return to Urantia. And this is a group of 12 life carrier sons of the sun's order. And they are, their specialty is that they can initiate the spark of life. Think of a super scientist uh, who is a high spirit personality and he works in concert with his other life carrier sons. And they actually work out the plans, the genetic plans in laboratories. And then they bring this or they bring either the, the plans themselves transported to the different life planets, or they work out all of the procedural events, and then they come to Earth, and then they create from pre-existent matter the conditions of which they can plant life. So let me read what it says. In cooperation with spiritual powers and superphysical forces, we organized and initiated the original life patterns of this world and planted them in the hospitable waters of the realm, all planetary life, aside from extraplanetary extra personalities down to the days of the planet, Planetary Prince, which is about 500,000 years ago, had its origin in our three original, identical, and simultaneous marine life implantations. These three life implantations have been designated as the Central or Eurasian African, the Eastern or Australasian, and the Western, embracing Greenland and the Americas. Half a million years ago, primitive marine vegetable life as well as uh, was well was well-established on Urantia. So the math there is that 50 million years before or after they arrived, vegetable life was well-established. So what they put into motion was the beginning of a marine life implantation, or what they call the original life platter, uh, patterns. Pretty interesting, isn't it? 500,000 years ago, primitive marine vegetable life was well-established on Urantia. Greenland, and the Arctic landmass, together with North and South America, were beginning their long and slow westward drift. Africa moved slightly south, creating an east and west trough, the Mediterranean basin, between itself and a mother body, Antarctica, Australia... Oh, wait. (laughs) Africa moved slightly south, creating an east and west trough, the Mediterranean basin, between itself and the mother body, and Antarctica, Australia and the land indicated by the islands of the Pacific broke away on the south and east and have drifted far away since that day. And it concludes with this. We had planted the primitive form of marine life in the sheltered tropic bays in the central seas of the east-west cleavage of the breakup landmass. Our purpose in making three marine life implantations was to ensure that each great landmass would carry this life with it and its warm water seas, as the land subsequently separated. We foresaw that in the later era of the emergence of land life, large oceans of water would separate these drifting continental land masses. So there's the initial story, which you would find about how our earth Earth, uh, ended up having life. Uh, Now, maybe this doesn't match up with the story of Genesis, but it's, it's my um, observation that as we move into the age of science, there has to be a logical explanation of how life emerged. And, and right now, science is sort of grasping at straws. Some think that life came here through all kinds of different forms, all natural. And this is a specific story of how life is deliberately planted here by personality, spirit personality beings, whose job it is to initiate that life implantation, whether it's for us or whether it's any number of other worlds. Now, they go on to say that our planet is a decimal planet. They're trying new things here that weren't tried before in order to approve upon the original designs. And that's an introduction to what I think is a fascinating paper. And I think it's also a comforting podcast. I'm trying to share the Arantia book and all of its revelatory information so that you can really grasp just how wonderful this book is. Any comments, email questions, yourantibookradio at gmail.com. Until next time, Jim Watkins, thank you for stopping by. See you again soon. I've just closed my eyes again Climbed aboard the dream a train